Um, Our scripture tonight comes from Isaiah chapter 40, verses 1 to 11. It says, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice of one calling, in the wilderness prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all people will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry out, and I said, what shall I cry? All people are like grass, and all their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. You who bring good news to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up and do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power, and he rules with a mighty arm. See, his reward is with him, and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The monster is all around us. It was there in the beginning, and it will likely be here when we're gone. It rises and falls, ebbs and flows, swirling and threatening and tempting, pulling and calling. Its sounds are familiar, like a melody your mother sang when you were little, or an echo of something you shouted into a cave years ago. Sometimes its sounds are quiet and ominous. Sometimes they're loud and overbearing. But the monster is always threatening. It sits just off to the east and further away in the west, nearby to the south and further off in the north. But it's always close because we hold it dear. Like a stray cat that seems to belong, we give it a name. Sometimes it has a specific name, like COVID, or job loss, or the death of a friend. Sometimes it has a general name, like politics, or school, or life. But these names that we give the monster always hide its true nature. For its true name is chaos. We have nearly endured nearly 2020. We've been through what felt like an unending summer of chaos, a global pandemic that waxed and waned and bombarded us with uncertainty, 
an election season that still feels like it's not over, even though it is, except for in Georgia. Lord help the people in Georgia still watching political ads on their TVs. Some of us have nearly made it through another semester of school, kids and parents and teachers and students. And yet now the pandemic is waxing again, and its waves are crashing over our little boats. The chaos seems unabated to me. Advent is partly about recognizing just this, recognizing our place in the darkness amidst the chaos, waiting and hoping and searching and silent. But it feels like we've been in that place for all of 2020. So at the beginning of this Advent season, I feel more than a little defeated. But then I'm reminded of the reason that we observe Advent as Christians. Advent isn't the start of a season of waiting and hoping. Advent is a reminder that as the church of Jesus, the one who has come and will come again, we are always hoping and waiting. And we're always doing it in the midst of chaos. It's in a similar context of chaos that our passage from Isaiah 40 was first spoken. The people of Israel had been carried into exile by the Babylonians, and they've been living in that place of exile for some time. They don't know when the exile might end, and they've got no evidence that it will come to an end anytime soon. Yet somehow, the prophet Isaiah has a word of comfort. So here's the first point for tonight. Comfort doesn't take us out of chaos. Comfort doesn't take us out of chaos. It is comfort that Isaiah speaks into chaos. It's not a word that lifts us out. It's a way of living within At the end of this chapter, or even at the end of the book of Isaiah, the people of Israel are still in exile. They're still not home. This word is not a blueprint for escape from chaos. It's a way of living within it. When this pandemic is over, when we get to go back to doing some of the things that we used to do, when we adjust again to another new normal, there will be another form of chaos that bubbles up from below the surface. Because in this world, chaos never disappears. It only evaporates, regathers in dark clouds, and then torrentially pours on us again. Or to put it another way, In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart. Jesus overcomes the world. And he does it by entering into the chaos. Comfort doesn't take us out of the chaos. Instead, comfort helps us imagine the world without chaos. 
Comfort helps us imagine the world without chaos. So let's look at what's being imagined here in Isaiah 40. It's a path back home. It's a return from exile. It is a straight and easy path on which the Lord leads his people home. And it's being prepared by the physical reversal of every obstacle. Every valley is raised up. Every mountain is brought low. The rough ground is made smooth and the crooked is made straight. And this way is being proclaimed as good news boldly. It's being manifested in power and in gentleness. And it's all being done while the people are still in the wilderness, still in exile, still not home. This word of comfort is a word of imagination. And the power of this imagination is picked up again by Mary in Luke chapter 1. When she sings in response to the angel's announcement that she will give birth to a child, She sings because the announcement of the birth itself is the implication that God has brought down rulers from their thrones, but lifted up the humble, has filled the hungry with good things, and sent the rich away empty. Willie Jennings says our Christian social imagination has been corrupted and that we need a new one. Well, here it is. From the prophets of Israel to the mother of God, show us a new world. Help us imagine what it looks like to have faithfulness and power come together with love and gentleness. Help us see how the wolf could lie down with the lamb. Help us see how swords could be beat into plowshares. How righteousness and peace could kiss each other. How the land might yield a harvest once more when chaos is finally and forever eradicated. But even if we could have this kind of imagination, why would we trust it as anything more than a fantasy of our minds? Even if we could picture it, what reason do we have to believe it? Because Isaiah 40, verse 5 and verse 8, the mouth of the Lord has spoken and the word of our God endures forever. See, when the Lord speaks, chaos is held at bay. Israel knows this, but they need reminding by Isaiah. And we need reminding too. In the beginning, the earth was formless and void. Darkness hovered over the surface of the deep. And the waters of chaos were churning against the Spirit of the Lord. And God said, let there be light. Creator God holds chaos at bay. And then, when a Pharaoh rose up in Egypt who did not remember Joseph, 
who oppressed and enslaved the Israelites. The Lord saw their misery and heard their cries and brought them out of that bondage. But just as they left the chaos of Egypt, they ran into the chaos of the Red Sea. And so the Lord drove back the waters of the sea so that they could walk through on dry land. Liberator God holds chaos at bay. And this same creator, liberator God, is who speaks this word of comfort in Isaiah 40. So we imagine, we believe, and we wait. That's the third point. Comfort helps us wait. Comfort does not take us out of chaos. Instead, it helps us imagine the world without the chaos. And by doing so, comfort helps us wait. Waiting and patience go hand in hand. But we are so bad at cultivating patience. Partly because the very act of cultivating is an act of patience. To foster something, to grow it, to let it be formed in you, to let it be formed in us, takes patience. And patience is precisely what we're trying to cultivate. So it takes patience to get patience. And we get caught in a vicious cycle of impatiently trying to speed up the process. Advent is calling us to wait. But we're also bad at cultivating patience because we are surrounded by instant gratification devices. You could pull yours out of your pocket right now, or maybe it's sitting next to you on the pew. And most of the time, the temptation toward instant gratification is too strong, and we impatiently give in to it. Advent is calling us to wait. But not to wait passively. This act of imagination in the midst of chaos that is comfort is not an escapist imagining, like a daydream from your eighth grade geometry class. It's an active waiting It's a patience that also climbs a mountain to raise our voice mightily without fear. It's a waiting that recognizes our flower fades, but until it does, we will turn our face toward the light that does not fade. Toward the word that endures forever. This waiting is a steadiness that calls, even as the world crumbles around us, even when we cannot see the Lord's presence for the wall of chaos in front of us, this steadiness calls, here is your God. This is embodied waiting, dynamic waiting, active patience, So what does this waiting look like? How can we imagine it? Can we look to our black sisters and brothers in America as an example of embodied waiting? A people born out of oppression, gathered together and displaced 
from their land for the sake of greed. Traded to settle debts. Forced to build a new world for white masters. A people whose bodies were strewn across the American colonies and are still being exploited in our institutions and killed in our streets and killed in their homes. A people who labored and persevered and hoped. And in the words of writer Dante Stewart, had the audacity to survive. Is this not an example of embodied waiting? And God has the audacity to comfort them in their audacity to survive. Theologian Fleming Rutledge says, Advent must be marked by what she calls transvision. Transvision which she says is the ability to see through the present darkness to the light on the other side. Transvision. That idea is remarkably similar to the way Martin Luther King Jr. describes those who were long fighting for civil rights for black people in America. In his letter from a Birmingham jail, he says... Those who are fighting, they have carved a tunnel of hope through a dark mountain of disappointment. Carved a tunnel of hope through a dark mountain of disappointment. That's the practice of Advent. That is embodied waiting. And the comfort offered by Isaiah is a comfort that helps us wait like this. Or could we look again to Mary as an example of embodied waiting? As the child of promise grew within her, as she offered her body to bring his body into the world, Mary understood and believed what we must believe if we are to wait like this. If we are to experience God's comfort in waiting, we must believe, as Mary believed, that God's patience in coming is salvation. One of the other readings for the second Sunday of Advent is from 2 Peter chapter 3. And it includes verses 14 and 15, which say this, Therefore, beloved... While you are waiting for these things, strive to be found by him at peace, without spot or blemish, and regard the patience of our Lord as salvation. Regard the patience of our Lord as salvation. To quote a Paradise Hymn song, there is tension in the waiting. But Mary reminds us in embodying waiting what 2 Peter teaches us in looking for Christ's return, what Isaiah tells us to call from the mountaintops, there is salvation in the waiting. There is salvation in the waiting. Maybe the chaos waters are calm right now for you. Maybe it feels like they're raging 
and you're holding on to hope with a grip that is failing. In every context, this word of comfort is for you. It's for us. Because in every context, we are waiting. In every context, there is an ebb and flow of chaos while we wait. And in every context, we have a God who enters our chaos and speaks. Comfort. Comfort my people. As we transition to a time where we gather around Jesus' table, we're going to practice another breath prayer, another Advent breath prayer. We're going to inhale together and exhale together. The words will be on the screen behind me. This time when we inhale, we're whispering, we're speaking, we're thinking. The promise is coming. And as we breathe out, I don't have to wait alone. For one reason, because God has entered our chaos with us, so we are not alone. Also, we're waiting together. All of us in this room, communities of Christians across the world, we're all waiting together. The promise is coming. I don't have to wait alone. Let's breathe in together. And out. And in. The promise is coming. And out. We don't have to wait alone.